What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode two of the High Bar Podcast. As always, my name is Sean Noriega, and today I am joined by Chance Mitchell to discuss the topic that is on everybody's mind, which is the USAPL severance from the IPF. We discuss all the factors that ultimately led to this decision, as well as what we believe this means for the distribution of American lifters across the federations. We also discuss timing the mental stress and focus necessary to compete at the highest level when going into these bigger meets, and whether or not we believe decompression to be necessary following these meets. Chance also suggests that I don't have good genetics. Anyway, here's episode two of the High Bar Podcast. Yeah, because if Russell goes, then I bet Taylor would go. You know, if and obviously you would go, right? And you would follow yeah. Russ. And, and yeah. is it more because you don't want people to shit talk you and tell you like, oh, why are you not going to go against him? No, 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 no. It's I genuinely want to. Like, I, I feel this so... Um, prior to any of this stuff being announced, like one of the things that I was thinking about when, you know, the USAPL had kind of, well, I guess the USAPL and IPF had kind of alluded to there being a break at some point. I was like, oh, like these new, these old weight classes, if we brought them back, would be kind of cool, you know, maybe going 198, you know, that would be a, a, you know, a good opportunity for growth. And I'm just thinking about it. And it just like, the thought of not completing the goal which has always been to win the 83s, but win against the top competitor, which would be Russ. Like not completing that just makes the makes my powerlifting career feel like empty is a way to put it. Like I feel like there's a lot of unresolved. Um, that, like that is the biggest thing that would be unresolved. So it has nothing to do with external pressure of, oh, you, you know, you need to go against this person or why are you not going against this person? It's like, mm -hmm. I genuinely feel an uneasiness if I don't. So for me, like my primary goal, like I said, is to, is to win the 83s, but also like just beat Russ, right? Like he's the, the epitome of, of like conquering, you know, whatever the biggest obstacle I've had in this sport is. Right. Yeah. He, he it, since 2017, it's been a back and forth between us and constant comparisons and all that stuff. And I love it. So if I don't do that, wherever it may be, whether it's PA, whether it's USAPL, I feel like I'm not completing something that I set out to do. So, I mean, for me, it's and, you know, when I spoke to Joey about it as well, it's like very um, it's a very easy decision I think to make to just kind of sit back and see what happens because like the USAPL is not barring us from coming back you know what I mean like we can just go do PA see what it's about we like it we don't like it you come back you know what I mean and I think that that's where I'm sitting regardless of what I decide to do in the future regardless of how the USAPL is in the future like regardless of who wins out between these two feds I'm very likely going to go do PA nationals and then regardless of what happens, come back and do raw nationals. Um, yeah. yeah, my, my world aspirations are not really there. I know, I know that's maybe an unpopular opinion amongst, you know, a lot of the top guys in every weight class, but just maybe it's cause it's specific to my weight class. Like obviously knowing that whoever is the best 83 in the U S is the best 83 in the world. And usually by a large margin now that Gibbs is gone. Um, so for me, I just care about winning, you know, beating the best domestically 
And then, you know, that's the, that's the big goal. What if, what if for whatever reason you couldn't, you couldn't compete in the same federation as him and you did like 855, you put up something massive, right? And um, that was way more than what he did. Mm -hmm. Would that be a win for you? Would that still be there or no? Honestly, I'm going to have to say no. And the reason I say that is that I've done these big totals that have been within single digit kilos of Russ, you know, leaving plenty of kilos in the tank. Granted, not at at a national level meet, but I've done it independent of competing against him. Right. And the and the narrative that always gets constructed is, you know, oh, you know, Sean is is right there or on paper. Maybe right now Sean is stronger. And then nationals rolls around, be it injury, be it execution, it doesn't come together, right? And and I I don't end up being able to to finish the job. So for me, I think just with respect for history, I can't in good in good faith feel like I've done it until I've done it head to head. Because I've consistently been able to put up bigger totals and then head to head, it doesn't happen. So for me to feel like I've actually accomplished the thing, I would need to do it against him. And that's fair. Yeah. I, I would say that I bet Taylor feels similarly because I think he wants to go against Russell. Like the, the Sheffield thing, like even by points or whatever, like he wants to be there. Yeah. Um, I talked to him a little bit about stuff like that. So I think – that would be his thing. And if, you know, you, Russell, whoever, I, I think if you guys all circle around each other, whoever goes to one is going to lead yeah. everybody else. I think for now, because there's just not going to be any local PA meets or PLA meets, yeah. then it's going to be USAPL for a long time. Yeah. And I think, I think every weight class would honestly benefit from that. Like people just figuring out what everybody's going to do because otherwise it ends up being this, you know, prisoner's dilemma type thing. Mm-hmm. where you know everyone has to assume what the other person is going to do and then they end up acting out of fear of the other person doing what they don't want them to do when in reality <laughs> a consensus could be reached where everybody gets the the right decision so like i spoke to delaney uh delaney wallace for those of you who aren't familiar um i spoke to delaney a few days ago and was asking him and he's like, bro, I'm just waiting to see where you guys go. Like, I want to know where the competition's going to be and I'm going to be there. And like, that's pretty much my, my sentiment. I don't really, my, my own perspective on like who wins this out differs from yours chance. And you can kind of give your perspective when we get into that. But despite the fact that I do think the USAPL is, is going to be the, the winner, however we want to define that in the long run, um, I don't have an allegiance for my own personal competition. Like my own personal desires just line up with wherever the top 83s are going to be. So um, hopefully we get, we get some clarity in terms of like a schedule going forward where PLA or PA, whatever the fuck it's going to be called, wherever those meets are going to be um, so that I could start planning. But I mean, as you know, Chance, and maybe people listening don't know, but for me, you know, I could – you know, everything can go fantastically at PLA nationals, whenever that ends up being, but I still have to come back to the USAPL uh, for June. It's, you know, it works out nicely that I don't really care about going to worlds, but also, you know, my roster has a ton of people doing nationals 
Chance, your roster does, Jaron, Michael, Aiden, everybody has a ton of people at Nationals. And given that the USAPL obviously scheduled their Nationals the same week as Worlds is not the best thing in the world for that. Uh, but that is obviously the the priority there. So, I mean, I'll be I'll be back regardless. And um, yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not too worried about it. Like I said, I just want to go head to head, and it's a it's like a pure spirit of competition thing for me, and not as much like a world title thing for me. Because you have competed at IPF Worlds, some people may not even know that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did do uh, Junior Worlds in 2017. And I've been as a coach to the next, you know, three worlds uh, following that. So I think just having experienced the atmosphere and the environment as well as having competed there, I'm just not, you know, obviously being able to say that you've won worlds is a tremendous accomplishment. And I'm sure there are people listening who either have it as an aspiration or maybe one of our fellow competitors who can actually achieve that at some point are like, well, this is literally the pinnacle of, of the sport to me. Like, I don't know why you have that opinion, but I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't entice me. I think because I have a, a respect for how completely uncertain and fucked up actual sports can be in terms of who wins and who doesn't win and how anything can happen compared to powerlifting where it's usually just, it's very quantitative. It's more cut and dry. Obviously execution comes into play, but you, you have a, a higher uh, success rate among the people who are good versus, you know, two teams show up at the Super Bowl or two teams show up in the world series. And it's like, well, anything can happen here. Mm-hmm. If you're a Falcons fan, um, <laughs> <laughs> man, I was like, I guess people, you know, the meme of the 28 to three, like I was bullied forever because of that you know, halftime hits and I'm feeling so good. I'm like, Oh, this is easy. The Patriots, we got this. And then everything crumbles down. So yeah, anything can happen. Dude. I'm in, I'm in Massachusetts <laughs> at that time. Cause I'm still in school when that game's going on and we have like this, you know, massive projector playing with like 60 dudes all on the first floor of our fraternity. And a good deal of us were Patriots fans. And, you know, obviously halftime is, miserable and then all right (laughs) all right tom brady turn it on baby let's see what you can do that night i cannot tell you how loud boston was it was the most absurd thing that night the next morning the whole week following it was it was absolutely insane i'm sad (laughs) i'm sorry i'm sorry to bring that back for you Dude, it was it was like a period of like eight months where like I couldn't type anything, and the, the response is going to be twenty eight to three, <laughs> no matter what. Oh. But yeah, I, I do. You know, I feel like that with USAPL. You know, Ashton versus Wilson in twenty eighteen. That's like a big one that sticks out to me. Where like mm. on paper, you're like, oh, Ashton's going to win easy. Yeah. And I was like, eh, maybe, never know. And yep. You know, Wilson got it. So for you, what world is something that you, you think is cool and it's not about that anymore for you? You don't see it that way? Yeah, I mean, like, let's say, for example, you know, nationals and worlds were not the same week, which, you know, probabilistically should be the case. But, you know, USAPL made that decision to do that. Um, I would go, right? Like, let's, let's say that I won PLA nationals and then the opportunity to go to worlds was there. I would go because it's another opportunity to compete to compete at the highest level, you know, in terms of like 
feeding into some sort of international organization. The judging standards are strict, right? Like it's an opportunity to prove yourself um, at another stage. I would take that, that opportunity, but it's not this burning desire in my mind when it comes to thinking about how, you know, what am I training for such that it's not a difficult decision for me to decide, okay, if I, if I were able to get to worlds, like, do I have to plan my flights so that I get there and then I can leave same day to make sure I make it back for now? Like, no, it's, it's a very easy decision for me. Um, like I said, it's just, I know who the best guys in my weight class are. I want to compete against them. If I'm given the opportunity to do that, I'm, I'm good. What if this situation happened? So people may not even know that this is part of like how these federations work here. Um, so Russell went with us Virgin <laughs> islands to compete uh, at worlds this last year. He technically has their spot. So he could just decide, like, I don't even know if Joey and Russell even know this, but he could take the spot for USVI. Um, I'm sure he would just have to register with them and, and be able to do that. Um, he would take the spot, meaning that, you know, he wouldn't be there, right? In US, USAPL or PA, yeah. he wouldn't be competing at their nationals. Would it mean then for you that you'd be like, okay, I'm for sure going to do PLA so you can meet up with him at Worlds? So that's a fantastic question. That's definitely something that I, you know, it's not that I didn't think about it. I just don't know that that's highly... Likely. I mean, I don't know. I haven't, I have not spoken to, to Russ about this directly. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine just based on the fact that you're a, you know, us citizen, as well as, you know, it'll be a big gap of, of competing. Maybe you'd want to do the, the PLA nationals. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's taken long times off competing and been fine. So I don't know what his, his plans are just simply, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, that would definitely make things more, difficult right because now there's a direct overlap between worlds and competing against the best guys so yeah i mean if if that truly were the the case and that happened then i would be doing exactly what i said before which is trying to figure out a a schedule you know in terms of flying and making sure i could get back here in time um you know so that everybody is accounted for on my team um so yeah, that's definitely something I'd, I'd try to scramble to do. But if it weren't feasible, um, you know, I think that, like I said, it's it's one of those things that obviously I've I've been working forever to to accomplish. But I have to think about you know if I have you know twenty five Nori athletes competing at nationals, and I'm responsible for you know half of them or more than half of them. It's like, I can't, I I would feel so um, like, I'd feel like I'm not doing my job if I were to forego that. So at this point, you know, as much as my, you know, I've not let being an athlete take a backseat at all, but I think that just obligation to others is something that is a value that like I've always put forward. Like I've prioritized, I've valued. So I think I would have to, you know, satisfy that first. I think it's good that you reiterate that, you know, that that's your priority. Yeah. I I feel like having a competition, like a big competition like that just makes me train that much harder. That makes everything more razor like focused yep. and I just do that much better. So I, Absolutely. I, it would be hard, I think for you when you're competing and doing all those types of things to still treat training a hundred percent. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you having a meet like that to really, um, 
put the pressure on, I think is it elevates your training. But in actually, now that you say that, like in my experience, I've definitely, you know, and, and probably a lot of people listening know, like I've managed to hurt myself before, like every fucking nationals that I've ever done. And I really reflected on it after this past nationals and was like, okay, originally I was like, you know, maybe this was out of my control. And then I really think about it and I'm like, no, like I take account, I want to take accountability for things. I value accountability. How could this have been my fault? And I really think about how I train when I'm in the block prior to meat prep, let's say, and how I train during meat prep. And usually performance wise, I do really well before prep starts. And then I kind of try to do too much and like don't stay and I don't stay within myself and I don't trust that the weights are going to come to me assuming that what we're doing works and I think that I end up overextending myself both physically whether it's overshooting mentally you know in terms of maybe not sleeping as much out of stress or you know firing myself up for top sets and then that you know degrades the quality of the back down work like all of these things this is like the first time I can say that after a nationals which obviously went the most poorly that it possibly could of any of my performances that I really sat down and was like, yep, like I definitely can attribute this injury to the sum of these decisions because while, you know, maybe it was just that time where enough stress accumulated and something had to go. It's like, there's no question that the sum of my actions contributed in a at least moderate and perhaps major way and major part to this, you know, succumbing to the stress. I remember you talking about it before, you know, those last X weeks, I made a story about it or something. And you kind of responded to me like, yeah, we're about to go crazy to push it for this last X weeks. Um, and either we die or we, you know, survive and have glory yep. for it. Yep. We <laughs> yeah. died. We died. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you, you didn't die. You, <laughs> you died. <laughs> you were good. You were, my, right. my, knee, my knees were a little beat up, but I, I made it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's important, you know, to think about it. And, you know, now, you know, it's still hard probably to, to pull back on the gas for the next one. Right. Um, But, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, from a, I think the bigger thing really is the, the approach is, is what needs to be toned down and not so much the, the programming because the programming side of things going into the meet was not any bit, you know, it wasn't egregiously more intense than what we were doing at the times where we just pushed it during the year. I really do think that the part of it that made it so stressful was like, I was legitimately with, with how close I was and the numbers that I was hitting prior to prep, like what the matchup put us at on paper. Like I had probably up until three weeks out, like just like this, like adrenaline high, like all day and night. Like I'd never experienced something like that in my life where every single night I had difficulty falling asleep and every single day I was just wired from the moment I woke up to the moment I got in bed. I was just like, all I, all I could think about was I am fucking crushing it right now. And I need to just, just keep on this track. And then around three weeks out, I don't know why maybe it was just, you know, physiologically, this just couldn't persist. I just had this massive adrenaline dump where I just felt like dead. Like there was just one day that came and like, all the adrenaline, all the hype, I just felt like completely docile and completely drained from it. 
And I was like, this is horrible timing to feel this way, <laughs> but it's, it's just how it, it shook out. And I think that like, that was the start of, you know, obviously at that point in time, you're not contemplating, you know, the things that I just said in terms of reflection, cause you have a meet coming up. But I think that was the start where those thoughts start to enter where you're like, all right, yeah, like I probably need to fucking chill out next time. How, how were you more like emotionally on that side going into the last couple of weeks? You know, I know you're, you usually hold yourself pretty, you know, pretty well, you put together pretty well, especially at the end. I know you're kind of like, you're feeling beat up, um, yeah. but like everybody telling you, like, you're going to do amazing. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do yeah. It's hard emotionally to handle that. <laughs> yeah. That's why you're so wired. I'm sure. <clears throat> yeah. I think, I think those last couple of weeks, what ended up happening, I would say like the biggest shift was like in the, in the block prior to starting prep. So maybe anywhere from 12 to eight weeks out super, super confident. Then from eight to four weeks out, very confident. And then when I got under that, that window of four weeks out, like no matter what I hit in the gym, and this I think was just tied to that feeling of being drained, no matter what I hit, I was just like, fuck, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. This isn't going to do it. Like there was just a feeling of inadequacy, I guess. Like I would just like watch a squat and I'd be like, that wasn't deep enough. That wasn't fast enough. I'd watch a bench. The pause wasn't long enough deadlift uh the starting position was shaky whereas like maybe there were lifts that that truly was the case and i was honestly scrutinizing myself mm -hmm. but there were probably also among that set of lifts plenty that a few weeks prior i would have been like fuck yeah this is great so yeah i mean it was it was it was definitely tough i you know i i've been fortunate enough and i and i think that i've done a good job with like being um like I have a very, very strong, like self image, like very resilient, you know, I don't, I don't get feelings of like depression, really, I don't get any sort of um, like, I guess, self deprecation as much. Um, but like I said, this, this feeling was just like a total, like, just, I don't know how else to describe it other than adrenaline dump. Um, you know, it just made things feel uh, less vibrant or exciting where like I wasn't upset but I was just like it was basically just like I, I can't you know I can't command I can't uh demand energy of myself at this point in time like it just felt like mentally it was like a peak early almost yeah and that's part of it like you know we don't get to control these like big meets and you know when the time that we have to be perfectly ready and you know if you just don't hit that perfect time yeah yeah. And it's, it's funny because so, you know, you know, this, maybe people listening know this, but like, I, like, I don't drink, I don't party. Like I'm very binary with my effort. Like if I'm going to do something, I go all in with it or I'm, or I'm not going to do it. And I don't really uh, allow room for downtime. Like Daniela, if you're listening to this, you know, like I hate vacations. Like I just don't enjoy like just like relaxing. Right. And I remember after nationals, cause obviously, you know, Johnny and, and a lot of these other people were in my corner and after nationals, you know, Johnny was like, well, yep, that didn't happen. And then he goes, Sean, you should start drinking. And I was like, no. And he goes, he goes, no, seriously, because like you look at all the top competitors, he's like, look at Taylor. He goes on vacation after a meet, look at Russ. He goes on vacation after a meet, like, look at all these guys. Like they have this period of decompression you know, following competition and 
I think that it almost mentally gets them into a position where, you know, the the timing of of uh, emotions flaring the way that I'm describing can now line up because you're not just redlining it all year. And my response to that was, well, they've won, so they can they feel like they can you know they can do that. <laughs> like, I don't. It's it's tough to lose and then be like, yeah, let's let's chill out. You know what 100%. I mean? And and I'm sure you you can empathize with that because you're like you're close, but you haven't accomplished it. So you're like, who am I to think that I can like take these steps back when I put so much effort into taking these steps forward? So he, he hasn't convinced me, but there always is this little part, you know, in the back of my head, that's like, all right, maybe he's right kind of thing. I mean, we might, we might get into more stuff that we're going to disagree on here, but I definitely agree with you on this one. Cause yeah, like if you're losing and you're like, you know, feeling like you, you didn't do everything that you could or whatever happened, you definitely can't just go on vacation for months and think that it's going to make things better. Like I, I get that, like, you know, when everything goes amazing, you, you nail it. So for example, like Taylor's meet at run nationals this last year, like there's nothing more that you're getting on top of that after those next week or two, you know, he pulled seven fifty, he squatted six, seven or six sixty eight or something like yep. that. And almost bench four forty, like at 74, like, training for another week or two like you you definitely can chill like <laughs> you yeah. you earned it you definitely like everything yeah. you you 100% earned it yeah um in your situation i i get it you know and you know i feel the same way there's a lot of it means afterwards i i don't want to be just not doing anything and it's not because i'm scared of you know regressing or anything like that it's legitimately i i i need to train for like my mental health my well-being like everything yeah 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 and i mean it's you know, like I said, it's like this, uh, it's almost like a fear mindset because, you know, when you get to our level, we are trying to be so uh, scrappy and resourceful just for these little bits here and there on each of our lifts. And that takes a lot of time to get a little. And we know that, you know, we, we see it with, with lifters who are in our community or maybe they no longer lift. You can tell when someone starts to fall off, you know, cause you can see the, the inconsistencies in training or the trips or the eating, whatever, but like you see it add up and maybe the person doesn't see it themselves. Maybe they do and they don't care, but there are a lot of people I've seen who are just wildly inconsistent and their training goes nowhere. And it's mm -hmm. like, they, they internalize the poor performances negatively and they get down on themselves. And it's like, I've been watching from afar. Like your Instagram stories are telling a, a, a story that is a, uh, very indicative of why you're not making, making progress. But, you know, in terms of like the earned it comment that you made, you know, like mm -hmm. you, you earned the trip, you know, you earned the, the decompression. I guess the, the question that I ask myself is like, are we taught, you know, is it a matter of earning? Because I'm not, I don't care about, you know, earning a vacation. I'm not dying to do that. It's more so like, does someone actually need it? Because, yeah. because I think that's the, the, you know, the point that like Johnny is alluding to, right. In terms of like, you know, why this might be beneficial. And I think mm -hmm. that there are probably plenty of, you know, pro athletes or, you know, hyper successful uh, businessmen or something along the, you know, someone in that uh, sphere of being elite would probably, you know, there's some probably going to be some people who echo that, that sentiment. And, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to like, to come to and listen to. And I know that I have not thus far. I know you don't want to and agree with me uh, with it as well. But I do, I do question it. You know, I really do think like, okay, you know, is, is my, 
obsessive, you know, obsession with constantly pushing a a negative or a positive. And I think, and I think that when you when you are obsessive about things, how you internalize the feedback you get from it, whether positive or negative, really is what determines the health of it or not. And I think for the most part, I've done a good job internalizing it in a positive way and turning it into, you know, being more creative or working harder or whatever it might be. But, you know, an example like prepping for nationals, I think was a clear negative. So it makes me reflect and be like, okay, is, is the approach that I took the most effective one? And I lean toward no. Maybe even more with what I was like, I, I see it that they, they view it as like, you know, that they earn it. I'm more, I'm more of saying like probably when Johnny was talking about it, it's more like he sees it on paper that they, they do this. And then the outcome afterwards is that they, you know, you know, resensitize to new stimulus or, you know, whatever other term you want to use. So getting back and having training go positively again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't ever feel like I earn it unless I like mentally or physically, I know I need it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, I got you. So uh, we covered kind of like how you felt about like raw nationals this last year. What do you think is going to happen with, you know, this year's raw nationals? Um, It's coming up same time and the weight class change and, you know, all these 83s that are like, you know, pretty heavy, you know, I can think of a couple like, you know, I think Jamar is one of the bigger ones moving to like probably 90 kilos. You know, how is this going to shape up for, you know, the top five in these new weight classes? I think this will be really interesting. So, you know, I think with my weight class specifically, I don't, I don't foresee too much changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that if, you know, obviously if Russ does decide to leave, which I think for this year is, is possible, maybe mm-hmm. leaning toward probable, uh, that obviously vacates a spot on the podium, right? For me and Delaney, I know that through my conversation with him, you know, if he does have a path to Worlds, then I'm sure he's going to take advantage of that given that he's never gone. But I know that he also just cares about like wherever the majority competition is going to be. So let's say in the scenario where Russ does do PLA and Delaney does PLA, you know, that obviously... Uh, whatever the outcome is there, um, you know, Delaney would either go to Worlds if you were to if you were to win, and then if he didn't, he'd come back to USAPL Nationals. Uh, the Gruden situation, I would imagine, just based on the the current uh, climate in the NFL, that Deuce <laughs> no longer works for the Raiders. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't mean it in a disrespectful way, but I, I imagine that that probably vacates a a space for competition for Gruden and he's a phenomenal lifter and I would hope that he would come back to compete um so wait before before you continue on this because I know a little bit about it (laughs) I I don't know how much you know but um can they just fire him as well like does like I know he's I know like okay how much do we want to talk about this so I I don't I don't know that they I don't think they would fire him because they fire his dad. I just would imagine that he wouldn't stay. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it would just kind of be like, well, you know, but he's, he's suing be- the NFL now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't, I don't think yeah. that's going to go in his favor, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty crazy situation. Here's, here's my, here's my take, right? Like he, you know, the things that he said, he said, right. So you can't dispute that. 
But the, the only problem that I have are the people who are so like taken aback by it because I'm just thinking like having played even high school sports, like we're not running UN meetings in the locker room. Like, do you, like what, what kind of diplomatic, respectful discourse do you think is taking place at NFL training camps? Yeah. Have you, have you seen the clip of Randy Moss, like crying, talking about it? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> it was, uh, when it first happened, Randy Moss was like crying and saying, I was like, come on, man. Like you, you worked, you worked with him. Like you, you would know this person like, and you're saying like, oh, well, I didn't know that would actually be him. And it's like, that's not really what they're talking about in the locker rooms or anything like that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exonerating him. I'm, yeah, not, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, <laughs> What you know? He, what he said is what he said. However, I think that if you were to audit every NFL player's email, right. and every NFL coach's emails, you're going to find that all of them are speaking like the right. right? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's about all I'm going to get into this. <laughs> yeah, I okay. think I think I think that with Deuce, you know, I'd imagine that like you just wouldn't stay, right? Like you know, you're. I don't know. I feel like that would be just an awkward dynamic where you would just kind of make this mutual decision to leave. You know, maybe he gets a job with another, another team. I, I literally don't know how any, right. of works, but my, my gut instinct is that he would leave. I, I haven't been seeing any of like his posts or anything like that. Cause I think I don't he think deleted he... his Instagram. Oh, he does delete it from time to time. Yeah. Oh, okay. But, but I, but I think like from where his training was going into nationals and how well he did, out of nowhere. I mean, he started working with Joey. Yep. And then like I have no idea what he was doing after that, but he was looking crazy. Like, yeah, I mean, so strong. He's he's always been super strong, like responds really well to, you know, like he responds very quickly to to good stimulus and the thing about Deuce is like all three of his lifts are just like very reliable, right? Like you there's a benefit to like always dunking your squats right? Like to benching with a very long range of motion and not having to rely on like touching just perfectly. And then even though he pulls sumo, like it's not a very technical sumo, it's just kind of, you know, brute strength. So if you can, if you train like that and training's going well, it'd be very difficult for meet day, you know, not to go well. Yeah. And the way I- I'm sure it works great in Joey's like system, like that type of setup. Yeah. Like you super compensate well, and then you're ready, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, especially, you know, having worked with Joey for so long, it's like, you know, when you when you train like that, where there aren't any outstanding technical features to any of your lifts, it's like that block periodization style of like having just like, you know, you train for this for this period of time, you train for this, it works well. Whereas like, if you're a, you know, a really lanky wide stance sumo deadlifter, maybe there's like a small set of things that work well for you, or like you're a high arch bencher, maybe there's one set of things that works well for you. But it's like, you can be exposed to all different intensity zones and types of stimulus. And, you know, you just, you do equally well, depending on what the, the goal is. So yeah. yeah, I'd like, I'd really like to see him come back. So, so, okay. That's Gruden. Uh, Angela would be another one, right? Yeah. Like he's probably going to go USA powerlifting. I would assume. Oh, what his posts have been, he's been yeah. very involved with the process, I think with Steve. Yeah. Yep. So I, I would assume that's where he's going to go. Um, I guess next would be the Jamar, right? I think Jamar will go up to ninety. I don't. I, think he should. <laughs> yeah, he should. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he'll stay eighty-two point five. Like even you know, I love Jamar. You know, I think that he's a, a fantastic lifter. I've kind of had 
I've had some like in passing discussions about weight in particular, but not anything specific, but like it was, a, it was, it's been a force to get to 83. So I feel like not only the extra pound, but then just bringing you this weight class that is just right where you normally sit anyway. It's like, come on, you know, and, right. and that's the thing. It's like, you know, with Jamar, he genuinely would place higher if he, moved I think up. so. Yeah. hundred percent. 100%. So, well, let's well, let's not say that cuz, you know, I would be in that weight class and I would be the four spot and you know, he no, but, means- but no, but he would place higher. He would definitely place higher than he was. Where do Where do you place in 83? 4th, 5th. That's what I'm saying. So you're saying he's definitely has to beat me is what you're saying. <laughs> no, because I think you'll go, but I think uh, you'll place higher. All right, good save. Good save. <laughs> cuz your cuz your performance at this past meet and just where your strength has been going compared to nationals, I think indicates a, a higher placing for you. Sean, I'm pulling eight twenty something, eight thirty something at the next meet. We're gonna I shake on it. it. We're gonna I shake it. on it. Virtual okay. shake right now. I have no <laughs> doubts. I have no doubts. Um, no, dude, I, I, it's been going crazy. You're and dead. if deadlift just keeps going well, we don't have to worry about the other two. We just do pretty <laughs> good on those, and then we just, just let the deadlift come up. Yeah, 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 we, yeah. we just match them. Um, Honestly, I mean, it's a good, it's, you'd rather have that lift of any three going, you know, really well, especially if the other, you know, competitors aren't, you know, the amazing, you know, deadlifter, they can bench and squat, whatever. And then you get the opportunity to just say, I'll try it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'll try to beat them with whatever. Yeah. Um, the following lifters, I think, I mean, I'm biased, of course, but I really do think David Chan is going. Oh, yeah. Hit. Yeah, I really think David is going to make some some serious strides. So, I mean, David just competed uh, last weekend, totaled 787 and a half kilos, had probably another seven kilos on deadlift, maybe another five on squat, and is still, you know, progressing at a great rate. Like he's, for those of you who don't know David, tech, check out his Instagram, it's dchan83kg. He just, mm-hmm. like I said, competed, squatted 650, deadlifted 727. Um, but he's only been competing for a little over two years, which is the most insane part of all of this because when I got him in 2019, his squat was in the low fives, his deadlift was in the low sixes, and now arguably is one of the best deadlifters in our weight class because I'm just looking at his 330 and thinking, okay, what, what is there left on top of that? And based on the performances we've seen, I can only really say Angelo is, has been the one to be stronger on the platform on mm-hmm. pulls. Um, so I, I, would, I would probably say David will be somewhere over 800 by Raw Nationals, which I think would be good enough to cement him in the top five, maybe even top four. Um, yeah. Kyle. And it, wasn't, wasn't he like kind of hurt in prep yeah. a little bit? Yeah, yeah, that was another thing. I noticed that too, and I was like, Okay, and he was like kind of worried about it. I knew for a little bit, and then like all of a sudden, boom, he was ready. Like, yeah, came together really well. Yeah. So David David hurt his uh, left glute like four weeks out. He was just going for a pull, and as soon as he tried to break the floor, it just kind of crapped out on him. And for it was, I'm just so impressed that we were able to put together what we did because we had, you know, multiple sessions in like that four weeks to two week out mark where he was pulling, you know, sub 220 kilos, having a squat, you know, sub 240 kilos, just like doing what he could. And it 
you know, funnily enough, affected deadlift more than, than squat. Um, you know, just breaking the floor was, was so painful for him. Um, with the help of, of Connor Harris. So maybe some of you listening know who Connor Harris is, maybe some of you don't, but Connor Harris and he, uh, got on some, some calls to go through some drills and, and movement stuff, all the, all the voodoo shit that, you know, people like to, to shit on, but it drastically, drastically <laughs> reduced his pain. Like within, you know, this is one of those things where people look at, you know, this movement based stuff and look at it tracking over the long term. And someone who's in a proponent of it might say, oh, this thing worked. And then the people who are against it say, well, you had all this time to load manage. But it's like we were able to go from being brutally in pain deadlifting one day to the next day being able to complete a workout completely normally. So very thankful to Connor. I don't know if Connor's going to be listening to this, but I mean, he pretty much saved David's prep in a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was he was hurt and he didn't show his cards at all. Like he posted back down sets at that. And, you know, I know my, uh, you know, Jaron, our, our coach, Jaron. And Kyle, his lifter, who he was competing against, were completely in the dark thinking he was hitting some crazy stuff. And in reality, he wasn't. You know, the heaviest David pulled all prep was 310. And it was not pretty. Like, it was, it was pretty difficult. Um, we just kind of trusted that not so much that the peak would do anything special, but rather that those temporary periods of having to pull back would not have been too disruptive because training overall was going exceptionally well prior to that. And in the last couple of weeks of prep, even though he felt kind of off, you know, because of the glute, he was still performing at a higher level than coming into, into raw nationals. So it was more so just a hope that this injury is, you know, the duration of the injury affecting training was not significant enough to elicit any sort of detraining or anything. And thankfully it wasn't. On that point, I wanted to ask you because I know as an athlete being in that position that David was in um, is, you know, you're, you're kind of having to be, okay, I'm trusting the process, this hope of everything going well. Yep. How is it for you to like, you know what that feels like and then tell him, Hey, you know, it's all going to be okay. Everything's going to go great. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause well, you know, like it probably, you know, most of the time it, it's not it going to happen. Yeah. 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 Yep. No, I mean, so one, I will say on his end, David is so laid back, which works out really well in general, but especially mm -hmm. for being in a situation like this. Um, he didn't know originally that I was coming to handle him. So I think that whatever, you know, potential feelings of a dash and confidence that he had kind of got, you know, uplifted or, or, you know, uh, taken away in some fashion in finding out just a couple of weeks out that I was going to come handle him because I think knowing that this was a granted just a local meet, but at his home gym where everyone is rooting for him and he's competing against one of his other gym members, you know, I think and him and I had this discussion. He's like, I'm so thankful you were there because you know, with the, you walk out for your squat and the people are screaming super loud and it's easy to let them dictate the pace. Like you did such a good job in making sure that I was the one in control of the pace. So I think from knowing that I was going to come handle him to actually handling him on meet day and keeping him calm, those were, those were huge. I think that without that, you know, I'm not saying, you know, David, you're very, very laid back. You're a very strong competitor. Um, 
but I'm, I'm sure that that, that helped in a way as it would have helped for me. And I'm, and I'm just glad that I was able to be there for you. Um, but on my end, you know, I, as a coach, I'm much more rational, I would say, than I am as an athlete. You know, there, there are things that I do as an athlete that I will get on lifters that I have. Do it. <laughs> yeah. And like when I, yeah, it's, it's such a stupid cognitive dissonance thing because I know that I'm a shithead, you know, at times with my lifting, like fairly neurotic. Um, but when I put on the coach's hat, I'm just very systematic, very, you know, logical about things. And, you know, the talks that we have with David being so laid back and then also being pretty smart himself, you know, you just try to keep things very, you know, just sensical. And you're like, okay, let's think about how many sessions you had to do this. You know, in the weeks prior, you were maybe under, you know, significant fatigue. And now you're just, you know, we didn't do enough that you'd be feeling detrained. Like, let's hope that we're able to have productive training. You know, I think we were in a position where if things continued as they were, we eventually would have had to have the discussion of, yeah, you're probably not going to be able to hit what we expected. Like, let's just go in and do our best. And we were lucky enough that, like I said, Connor was able to help him in the most vital part of his prep, be able to train. You know, David, like I said, was able to pull 310, was able to, you know, squat 290. He obviously wasn't feeling 100% on those days, but the volume following was the sufficient stimulus. You know, it wasn't really, in most, to the, most cases, the volume was identical to what would have been programmed anyway. At the very worst, was slightly lower. So it's like the stimulus was there. And we just, I think we were just very fortunate that that played out how it did. Um, but I mean, you're absolutely right. Like as a coach, you know, having been through something personally where you know that things might just not work out, you know, it's, it's obviously not even, not even might not, probably not. Probably will not. Work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so like I that, think- that negative thing where you just like, okay, now you have to go into those last X sessions and be like positive and, you know, ready for it, even though, you know, it's probably not going to go great. Yeah. I think, like I said, I think having the opportunity to handle him did a lot for both of us, just kind of leaning on each other. And then his like very composed demeanor, just naturally, I think makes it very easy for me to believe in him and then for him to believe in him. So from what it sounds like it, because of just getting the volume in, you know, that was like the most important thing that you could do in that situation, even the intensity. And a lot of those situations to me, when I see situations like that, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like, it's not the end of the world, but it, it would obviously be nicer to touch these heavier weights. But in those like situations, I think the volume is the most important thing. You keep yeah. the volume in or some sort of stimulus. And then you kind of, hopefully you don't have like a four week period. Maybe it's like two ish weeks and you can get by with that and then come in and do what you can. And you yep. know, usually if you have that work in, it's usually good enough. Yeah. And it helps, it helps that he's so polished too, because like all of his lifts are very clean mm-hmm. where even if you don't get a chance to take the desired intensity, it's like you move the same whether it's 95 or 100, right? Yeah. If you're a lifter who's maybe more erratic in movement or inconsistent, you know, someone who's just like, you know, if they misgroove a squat, it's over, or they touch just wrong on bench, it's over. Like if you're one of those lifters, then that intensity probably matters more. But for David, I mean, like you watch his squat, it's a work of art. You know what I mean? So for, for an example like that, I think yeah. that it's it, it almost, you know, it, not, it doesn't benefit him but it doesn't hurt him to not have to take, you know, 98%, let's say. 
Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So the 83s, Chan. And I think that's like most of the top. I mean, I'm sure there's some that are right there that we're missing off. But I yeah. think of the people that we're more familiar with. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. D Shell's doing well. D Shell's mm-hmm. doing really well too. Um, just with him, getting him to eat is always the, uh, as you know, we've had this discussion, getting him to eat is the big one. And I think he had a sigh of relief when he saw that he could be a pound lighter. I'm like, no, David, this is, this is not what I want you to be excited about. But, yeah, because now he's just going to eat that much less and all yeah. of a sudden he's going to be 178. <laughs> he's going to go back to the 75s. Yeah. Yeah. They need to his, not. No, his bench, right. though, is the is the biggest thing that's just keeps going. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, he benched. He benched 205. I don't know if he posted it, but he benched 205 pretty recently. Um, and it's just consistently strong. Like we have three sessions within his training week where, you know, bench is just going to, he's either going to match a PR or hit a PR. And it's just been, it's been great. I think, I think his, um, his bench definitely bridges a pretty big gap that, you know, maybe some of the inconsistencies on his deadlift, um, you know, are, are hurting him with, but like I said in episode one, that's the plight of the short-armed power lifter. <laughs> True. Your weight class, though, you guys got fucked. I think that's the only, like, I've seen so many people complain on social media who, like, I'm, I'm about to say this because I don't give a shit. It's like there are so many people who are, like, 25, 30% body fat who are co- complaining about having to cut an extra kilo. And I'm just like, this is just better for you. Like, don't act like that extra kilo is helping you with performance. Like, you're going to be fine. But the 205s, that move back down is kind of the – re- the reason I, I think that this is such a uh, – I don't have a problem with the weight class changes. I think that it, it makes sense since the USAPL adopted the ones that we know now for the IPF because of the IPF. So going mm-hmm. back is like a, a, you know, a, a symbol of, of separation right. from the IPF. But I think that just what makes it difficult for a lot of lifters is like We've entered, I guess, like what I'd call the golden age of powerlifting, where like now we're starting to see what people are truly capable of within each weight class. So for the past five years of most people's lives, like they've tailored their body weight around these weight classes, right? And you not only tailor your body weight around the weight classes, you tailor your body weight around being five, six, seven pounds over the weight class so that you can ensure you maximize performance, but then can still make the cut. So like, for the 205s coming to 198, you know, I, I don't know how many 205s are even going to stay. Like, I, I think the retention rate of the top 205s is going to be nil. I mean, you mean that they're going to stay in 90 or they're going to go yes, to the lower that's one? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I don't think, I don't really think anybody will. Like, you know, I know you, you'll get into what your plans are. Uh, I know Keiko walks around like 210, so that would be a rough cut. You know, Bob and Petrie are already committed to 220. Um, I'm trying to think who the other 93s were. Gavin, I know, walks around heavy as well. I'm sure he'll go 220 or he'll go to PLA, you know, one of the two. But I don't, I don't foresee any of the top 93s really making the decision to stay USAPL as a 90. Yeah, I mean, that you're right. It's just a big, big drop-off. Um, and they're already going to be sitting heavier. Most people at this weight are chilling around 209 to 212. The thing is, is like you were saying, is like 220 is just too big, dude. Two, yeah. Like 
you know, because again, you'd want to be like 225 yep. to, to be maximizing that weight class. And for me, I don't think that's, I'm 5'8", five, 5'8 eight, five, eight and a half, yep. really. I'm not, it's not worth it. That's definitely not worth it. I was already thinking like, okay, you know, maybe 105 if I commit five years down the road. But like right now, I'm still competitive. I'm very competitive in my weight class. And, you know, the, the shifts are, are too much for me. So for me, uh, my, you know, ultimate, you know, goal is to get to IPF Worlds, compete with, you know, a lot of the international guys that I know, um, compete, you know, ANI World Meet, um, and do as well as I can break, you know, any kind of world record if I can, and, um, you know, total as much as possible and place as high as possible. I, I think for me, these are all new things that I've never, I just haven't been able to do. Um, I haven't even gone to Worlds yet, so that is a big deal to me. Yep. Um, and it's kind of what I got into the sport seeing, you know, in the initial 2014, 2015 um, era. Yep. So for me, that's that's such a big deal. The I, I really wish, you know, like we could have gotten into some of the stuff that USAPL is doing now. Um, I wish we've gotten a little bit more like I would have felt like the community was voting on some of these things or like deciding on some of these things. Cause I think we could have done more like, you know, this was all the reason why, you know, we're bound to these restrictions is because of the IPF and now we're leaving all of that. So, okay. Why, why not say, Hey, we're going to give back to the lifters. We want to hear what you guys want. You know, like I, I saw that like kind of Larry was talking to uh, Steve and Angelo a little bit. Um, but I wish like, you know, even those newsletter stuff where it's like, cool, you're informing us of what's going on, but like, we're not really a part of it. Yep. I, I would have liked to see some more engagement before they just threw all these different weight classes and they added new ones. They added, you know, like different, like, I think the heavier weight classes. The hypertension another... weight classes. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Why they're, that's why they're red. <laughs> yeah yeah and so like all these new weight classes all this change when you're right we've uh, you know pushed ourselves into these weight classes and being a little bit over right um i wish we would have gotten a little bit more say so in it yeah the, the, another thing that i thought of and what i would have been pretty it would have been pretty exciting to hear about this and tell me what you think if you know say for example we had the option um to pay like $20 more membership and you force that for everybody <laughs> and they're going to put that into the prize pools for mm. you know the top you know level level meets yeah. um and if we voted on it right like if everybody decided that's what they wanted to do like you know because they want to you know do that for the top level lifters that you want to support you know i think you know that extra money i don't know how many thousands of members they have multiply yeah. that by 20 um something like that would be cool yeah, I think I think that would be cool. I think that that would require maybe like a, you would need like a quorum, right? Like you would definitely you could, you know, send out the form to vote, but you'd have to be like, okay, we need minimum fifty percent of the USAPL to vote on this, right? Because if you get, you know, obviously there's selection bias where if you were a top level lifter who was in a position to win money, and mm -hmm. it's only you guys that vote on it and like 800 USAPL lifters vote and there are, you know, 20,000, 50, I don't know how many members, but there's tens of thousands. Then it's like, well, you know, <laughs> this wasn't a fair vote. Now I have to pay extra money. Um, I think that, that would have been a cool idea. Um, or even if I you just gave them, gave them the option to like, Hey, we're going to have this donate option almost. Oh uh, yeah. 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 I mean that, yeah, absolutely. You know, to me is like, why can't you do these types of things now? You can, you're not bound by anything. Well, they can, you yeah. Know, like you bringing this up very well could be a thing that happens, but 
I think I think I echo your sentiments in general about the USAPL. Like like I said, you know, I, I really do think that the USAPL is really making a 180 in terms of trying to be more, you know, for making this this sport and this federation up, you know, of high production value. Um, I genuinely do believe it, it's that way. But the the one critique I've always had of the USAPL and I think is still a, a valid one is that transparency, like you're saying. Um, you know, I know that uh, Josh Rohr had reached out to, uh, you know, select people within the USAPL asking to get on a call and, um, you know, discuss what future changes could potentially be made. I know there's, there's a whole, you know, Google Doc kind of outlining what changes are going to be made, what are not. Um, I was invited to the call. I ended up not being able to make it because I was traveling. But regardless, what I would have liked to have seen is you could still do something like that. But what would have been nice is maybe, you know, the USA powerlifting page, you know, a month before a decision is made, Larry gets on and says, you know, just records himself talking. Hey, this is, these are the, the situations that we are deliberating on. These are the decisions we might make, um, you know, giving people an opportunity to comment, give their feedback. Maybe there's a, just a form in general where you give your own feedback just like getting a consensus from the lifters because while, you know, I don't think that there are any changes that have been made thus far that are like, you know, disastrous in any way. Um, and there obviously are a lot of positive changes. I do think that this is, it's big for a lot of people. And I think the reason that the USAPL is going to thrive is because of that large average Joe membership, right? I think that that's, what's going to keep it going where, you know, PLA might get the top guys here and there to go over, but like you can't start a real fed from that. What incentive is a 400 Wilkes, you know, guy from Massachusetts going to have to go fucking find a PLA competition? Like I have USAPL right here. All my friends do it. I know the volunteers. I know the spotters. I know the loaders. It's hosted at my, like there's just been so much built up because of all the members that I feel like it's only right to, you know, now that the USAPL is by itself, like, involve the people more so what do you think could change that do you think there is any way like do you think usapl is just going to remain dominant now because of that because it is too 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 much work to try to find another option yeah i mean i i genuinely think that the usapl as a federation will retain its membership as a whole i think that it will retain its um competition frequency i don't think that they'll lose significant money at the very worst. Um, what I do think is obviously subject for, you know, up for debate is whether or not they'll retain the top lifters. Uh, obviously we've seen a good bunch already committed to staying Angelo, Bob, Petrie, Ashton, you know, a lot of these guys are committed to staying USAPL. And then the people who are the question marks are, you know, people like you, you know, me for the, for the long term in terms of my direct, you know, competition, Taylor, a lot of Joey's guys, right? So the question is whether or not, you know, those people will stay. And I think that what really is going to, you know, have to work in the USAPL's favor are competition in terms of who really is the best. Because although the glory of, of a world title is, is very enticing for a lot of people, like I said, the 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 downfall i think of the ipf is that they let one competitor per country per weight class 
right? I mean, you kind of, you have alternates kind of, but like it's one per. So you run into the same problem regardless, where if you have, you know, Jesus, let's say, wins PLA nationals by a million pounds, and then he goes to Worlds and there's fucking no one there. It's like maybe this past year, you know, it made sense because you had gotten a, a chance to go to Worlds taken away and then very abruptly reintroduced. You want to take advantage of that. But eventually you're just going to get tired of it. I really do think that you're eventually going to be like, why, like, why am I doing this to just keep winning when I can have a real matchup back home? And I think it differs for the female side. Obviously, there, there are a lot of really, really strong female lifters in the IPF. But the men's side, a lot of the weight classes are, are dominated you know, by the USAPL. And I just think that if you know, the USAPL already has the talent pool, so if they can really capitalize on having – you know, media that is more capitalistic, right? I, I th- I'm hearing that they're going to get rid of this media uh, restriction, that they're just going to have passes that people pay for, designated areas to film, stuff like that. That's going to be As huge. they should. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's something that should have changed years ago, but I'm glad that they're making that decision now. That's going to be huge because now the, the set of people that can film can be the sponsor, the companies that sponsor certain athletes. So I spoke to virus recently and, you know, they were basically asking me, you know, what can we do for you as an athlete? We want to continue working with you. I was like, you have me, you have a media team, send a media team to nationals and you don't even need to just film us. You can become another competitor within the pool of, of media companies for the sport. I think that that competition is good for the sport from a media standpoint, because the people who really want to put out the best product are going to claw tooth and nail to do so. And that is just better promotion for the sport. I think that if we can have, you know, like documentary style things where you're like following the top lifters and building a story, if the goal really is to like make this more commercialized and, and more, um, you know, marketable, I think that people want to see that. You know, we watch, you know, the UFC promos makes you want to run through a fucking wall before the fight. Right. So, you know, stuff like that, I think will be, you know, very enticing. Of course, the cash is a big one that, you know, the the IPF has yet to really offer, Um, you know, Sheffield. I think I think the IPF is really only holding on to people for something that hasn't even happened yet. Like Sheffield, you know, obviously this massive cash prize meet that was promised two years ago that never came to fruition and it's still being you know promoted as the the pinnacle once ipf worlds is completed again but in its current structure which would just be you know funded by sbd you know i don't i don't see how that could be continuously a an equal prize pool or increasing over time, because I just don't know where this money would be coming from to do that. Like domestically, we've seen it with, you know, granted, it's not being funded by companies with as much money as SBD, but we've seen it with, uh, you know, the Kern or the Pioneer or the, you know, US Open. Uh, those you know, meets, these- though, the, the money that those meets get, you know, that it's like it's a one hit and that's it. They don't that's have what, any. That's what yeah. I'm saying. They've yeah. gotten skimpier as years have gone on a mm-hmm. lot of the time. Because you just can't, you know, it's usually some individual sponsor putting up the money and it's like, well, we can't, <laughs> we can't keep giving that out. No, but it's not a, it's not a specific brand. It, it's like some random, 
yeah that decides that they want to do this versus like SBD is like their whole their whole thing is being established through through powerlifting and being the, the partner of the IPF mm-hmm. right so they are going to stay so meaning that like I, I don't necessarily know that they're going to do Sheffield X years right they obviously haven't even done it yet so there's no reason to say that oh it's for sure going to be a consistent thing but I would assume that if they're going to try to start doing things I mean the, the big thing here with the athletes that want to do the IPF that still want to get a gateway to the IPF. A lot of those lifters are the top level lifters. You know, they're winning worlds or placing very high or meddling. They're getting a world record. Um, SBD does pay those people. Yeah, they definitely do. Yeah. Not that much though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, is it that much more than what the pro series would give X spot that in the Sheffield? Yeah, I guess my my question is like like the USAPL is has outlined how they would be able to you know provide these prize pools and it's because you know the way that I look at it is like SBD is a business, right? Where like profit is is directly something that they are that they care about, right? They need to make sure that they're making money. Right? The USAPL has operational obligations, you know, a few people that they pay. And and based on what I've seen, it's, it's, you know, in past years where people were kind of speculative about like where money was going toward from what I've seen, it's actually like very modest, like, you know, nobody's getting, you know, insane amount of money or anything. So they have all these like operational costs, maybe some people to pay, but now it's every year, the profit that they're making that would otherwise go toward the IPF no longer goes toward them. So that money's always there year after year. You know what I mean? Whereas like with SBD, you know, they are a business trying to maximize profit and they're able at this point in time to give away that money. But is it something that makes sense year after year? I don't know. I I really don't know. I don't know. Like the IPF, as far as I know, is not contributing to any prize pools. Right. So not them directly. No, for sure. Yeah. 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 That's what, you know, that's what makes me kind of skeptical of the whole um, you know, situation in terms of Sheffield being able to be a recurring and equally or better great pool year after year. So I guess more of my thing here is, is that that money from the USA powerlifting side has to outweigh, you know, Hey, the, not the validation or the, like what it actually means to be a world level athlete and compete against the other countries. It has to be worth that. Right. To me, I see for myself, you know, getting a grand here or there at this meet, maybe. To me, that doesn't seem like it's worth it for, for me specifically. So that's why I have that view with it. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I'm kind of curious on, I don't I don't know if you watched the, the actual board assembly that they did. They put po- USA Powerlifting posted a whole like hour and 30 minute video of um, the board meeting where they got voted out. Did you watch any of that or I listen did not, to it? No. So they, they posted the whole thing and they were talking about it. Um, there was a lot of the discussion that, you know, I kind of forgot. Um, and, you know, what are we going to do with drug testing here in USA powerlifting now? What is, what is it, is it, is it staying the same? Are we actually going to have a better OMT system? Um, what is going to happen with that and how, 
how are they going to refine that? If because I think they should. I think if they're going to have these more mo, more money meets at these you know whatever expo, the the drug testing better get much better to me. Like I already know it's really good, and for what I've seen, has been very good in terms of the rate that you're you're testing at. But that's relative to the meets and not like the random people that come out of nowhere and just come and do X Europa or whatever else. There's a lot of situations like that where I'm like, okay, you know, we can see the the lifter that added 200 kilos to their total in a year. And we're like, okay, test that person, you know, but there's also people that just come out of nowhere and then do a drug tested meet and, you know, that's it. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's the same for the IPF and the system that we're going to have with PLA, right? Like the way that, so do you know, like, what, what's the real reason why it's not too much drug testing that we're getting, like, kicked out, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously not, it's, you know, the too yeah. much drug testing thing is, is just simply a consequence of not using WADA. Correct. Right, it's yeah. like we're able to do too much drug testing because we're using an independent lab that's cheaper. And while mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have a problem with that, you know, I, I, I genuinely lean USAPL on this issue. Uh, you know, versus IPF, regardless of the the potential misleading of some people within the organization saying that it's too much testing. Because fundamentally, I do believe that the USAPL is not altering lab results. I do not no. believe that they're withholding yeah. lab results. So operating under that premise, I believe our system is is better. And based on what we've seen, you know, Johnny obviously put out that video going through different countries' databases on drug testing. It's like, this is egregious. So, so one of the things <laughs> that they brought up in that meeting um, that USA Powerlifting proposed was, you know, a like, a, like almost like an awareness check to give WADA and their OMT system for like, hey, these are the athletes that we would be able to test or that we should test. And instead of us doing those extra tests, like an, internally, you know, OMT system with WADA would do those, right? And they would give a awareness check, like, hey, you know, this is some lifter you should test on the on the OMT system, right? And you can see why that's problematic, because these other countries they would they would have to like if USA Powerlifting did something like that, these other countries would have to as well. Mm-hmm. Like they would they would do that same system where okay, we're going to do X amount of tests, WADA tests, and then we'll just give you, hey, look, this is our lifter that we think you should test. Like it's, it's, that was their proposed like counter offer. What, what I was going to ask, and I don't, I would assume this was proposed because it seems very common sense to me, but I wonder what the situation was. Why could the USAPL not propose like, Hey, for all of our, you know, regional national level, and then like, you know, in the database lifters, why can't we WADA test them, but then continue our local level independent testing? Was that ever a proposal? Yeah, you, I mean, that, the IPF that, was just like, nah, fuck it. Yeah, they said you, you can't do any of your own internal tests. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's... Because they would still count those for like national level, like at, at nationals, they still would do those tests. Mm-hmm. Right? I understand. Like, yeah, yeah, like that's their that was their fundamental yeah. issue there, yeah. and so they were like, okay, we we've we've asked you to stop for X years and X time, and you still haven't done that. Yeah, and so that was what they were saying, and so like I get it, like you definitely want more tests than not, but at the same time, like I I I wish there would have been a little bit more of like a 
some sort of compromise in some sort of like compromise. Like it, it, I wouldn't even care to me, like personally, who cares if you test the X person at whatever local meet to me, like, like you, you, you market it as drug testing, you drug test, obviously, but maybe you don't do 10%. Maybe you do like two tests or something like, okay. Like, I don't know, man. Like to me, I feel like there are ways that you could have still, gone around it and i think that it's not worth it and so that's why this, they split you know obviously yeah for me for me my my opinion varies a bit you know uh differs from yours a bit because i i do think that that matters i know that and for me and you i know we have no personal investment or care about whether or not local meets get tested right like we're you know higher level lifters like why do i care that some dude with a 1400 total who wins an uncontested weight class gets drug tested I, you know i personally don't give a fuck Right. But I think I think that what makes me lean USAPL is that I respect, number one, that the USAPL wants to stick to their mission, which is being the premier drug tested federation, which requires you to drug test at some level that would be deemed sufficient. Mm -hmm. I also fundamentally believe that WADA is corrupt. I think that we've seen it across countries. We've seen it across sports that WADA does not catch cheaters and in some instances is preventing cheaters from being caught. So I understand that the principles that the IPF is abiding by are consistent with their beliefs, right? Like not mm -hmm. letting the USAPL do these third-party tests is consistent with their principles, but I just think their principles are morally corrupt, which is why I lean USAPL with this whole situation. Like if, it, if compromise were to take place, I genuinely believe that the morally correct compromise would have been that the USAPL forms a registered testing pool that they designate by saying the top, I don't know, 2%, 5% of each weight class. These are all the people on a list that we want to test. And then everybody else, we do our own thing. To me, that would be the morally just compromise. But the IPF, that is incongruent with their set of principles and rules that they have to abide by via WADA. So you're argue that the first thought that you brought up is what they did bring up. That's that was like almost the list that I was telling you about before. Mm -hmm. But it's like a, they they wanted to do like a sub federation. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, that exactly. sub federation would be what you're saying. Exactly. And then okay, everybody else is under the WADA panel. Um, and they said, okay, sure, but we'd have to do this for every country, and we can't do that for every country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I that's what I'm getting at. I just think it's a problem of the IPF and WADA. Yeah, I, I agree with the WADA system that it's obviously flawed because this is what we're doing in the Olympics as well. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I don't think there is any winning in this situation. And I just wish that USA powerlifting would have been a little bit more of like, did you hear that? I posted, I think maybe I sent it to you was like the, of them talking about it. And like, it, it's not really that we're doing, doing too much drug testing. Like, and he was like, or I think it was like Ryan saying it and it's and him like clarifying that no it really is that we're just doing too much drug testing and like they could have been a little bit more like honest about that on, honest about it in that sense because all these other countries i see you know whenever they make a post about the ipf or something there's these other country lifters and they're like yeah uh-huh and they're like doing whatever emoji and like reacting like negatively yeah. to it and it's like i see what they're saying as well like yep. i see their point yep um but they don't see the situation the same as the U S lifters. And, you know, in Texas, dude, like the amount of like 
failures that are in Texas is a lot. There's a lot of failure, just straight up. Like it's just almost the culture over here. It seems like, and mm -hmm. it's just unfortunate. And you're, you're right in the terms of the smaller weight classes or whatever local meet. You just show up for your first meet, and some random, you know, outlifts you by 100 kilos. Even in, though his total's not elite, and he's not that great anyways, it still is unfortunate. And you don't want to yep. see that. Exactly. So I, I I agree, and I agree in those situations. It's just like. This is this is more nuanced than what USA Powerlifting is trying to say it is. Yep. I, yeah, I don't think they help their argument by having, you know, guys like, you know, Chris Hunt, for example, like making posts saying like, oh, we do too much drug testing. It's like, that's just dishonest. And I think I think it, it discredits the USAPL and gives these other countries, you know, the fuel to make those kinds of comments you were suggesting because it makes the USAPL look dishonest. But my belief is that when it comes to the testing, that we we are honest in our practices. I don't think that anybody's ever been, you know, at least in recent years, you know, maybe you go back 20 years, maybe the answer is different. But I don't think anybody's getting, you know, uh, you know, I don't think Ray Williams is popping and then it's being, you know, covered up. I don't think that yeah. that is is taking place. Um, I think if the USAPL were to say like, we are able to do more drug testing because, you know, and, and they have said this, but when, when push comes to shove and they're put up to make the argument that they're better than the IPF, it's always the too much, too much drug testing line. But just being honest and saying like, hey, we're able to drug test more because we use a cheaper independent lab and we want to be able to uphold, you know, the frequency of drug testing and, and mm -hmm. that's it. You know what I mean? And, I and that these other countries view us as doing our own internal audits. Yeah, you that's have to make, what, yeah, exactly. You have to make the yeah. point that like, you know, it is, it is insulting and it is morally, uh, you know, um, against our values to even suggest that we would, you know, tamper with lab results or withhold results or anything like that. Like, I think just hammering that home is really where you just have to end it. Cause then they say, okay, like we, you know, we, I can't say anything to that. Like I could deny that you're, truthful but you know at least i'm not able to actually catch you in a lie which is you know saying just too much drug testing is is not the truth uh, so one more thing that i think maybe you would know better than me about this so the registered testing pool for usa powerlifting that wasn't directly tied to wada right i don't believe so so there's like the separate you know that you would do for an ipf meet that you would be on their pool Right. Yeah, because because I've gotten OMT'd and the test was not like a wad of test. Like in, in more recent years or more recent meets where you have that dude do the like specific gravity of your fuck. I don't know if you've gotten drug tested recently, but they have this device where they check the sp specific gravity of your urine and it's like this very involved test. But like I've had plenty of like OMTs where it's just like the typical, you know, here's your plastic cup with an A sample, plastic cup with a B sample you know, put the sticker on it type thing and get on your way. And that I know is not a WADA test. So yeah, I, I don't think that the, the registered testing pool has been exclusively WADA. Maybe at some points wasn't even WADA at all. I have no idea. And it's, it's kind of um, worrying to me how little they manage it and like keep up with it. Cause I know I haven't been keeping up with it straight up. Like I, I, I I've had it listed my like whereabouts and stuff, but I haven't been, you know, mentioned in anything or like emailed about it or anything yep. like that. No, same here. I have not either. Maybe it's because I keep losing, but. <laughs> <laughs>
But, Dan- but like Dan- Daniela, for example, dude, she gets drug tested all the fucking time. Even though she hasn't competed in so long, she still gets drug tested all the time. There was not too long ago, I think it was maybe last year, um, she got drug tested, I think, like four times in a three-month window. Like it was just like, I guess because it was around that time of like her having not competed in a while, but not clear to the federation that she's just taking time off from competing where they were just at her house every single day wow yeah it was nuts so it's weird how they do that though yeah go ahead well i was gonna say also then she would get unlucky and she would go to meets like just be with me at a meet or going to watch a friend compete and then like there's a a drug testing person they're like oh you're here let's get a drug test done and it's like yeah fucking kidding me that that like situations good. yeah that is good I, I mean that situation has happened to me multiple times at local meets where i would just go and handle people and they'd be like oh hey chance let's just get you while you're here yep and i was like okay cool you know let me see and, you chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's just to me it's weird how how they do it and i would hope that they get a little bit more on it in the usapl side yeah. and you know managing that well the weird thing is going to be if the pla stuff happens like, bro, like anybody could show up to those. Like, yep. <laughs> that will be act- like the powerlifting America stuff. Whatever happens with that first one, you, everybody better be looking at those. And, me- the, that me- and the PLA 105 kilo champion, Ogden Mickelbus. <laughs> bro, these people don't even know. <laughs> Nobody. Has, was- there's going to be like two people listening that are like, ah, oh, that's a good joke. <laughs> yeah i mean straight up like that's gonna happen like i would be surprised if if there's and i would be surprised if we do that much drug testing at that next powerlifting america meet or the, the first one especially since not that many people are going to go over right like the total number of people who are going to do pla is gonna it's just gonna be small right like it's very likely that you have a weight class that's just unoccupied so someone could just be in the shadows and just be like yep yeah, let's do it like fuck it i don't care so yeah, I could totally see that happening. That was, I mean, USA powerlifting in that long, I listened to it. It was like almost like a podcast basically for me. I, I listened to like the hour and a half that it was and they were, they made like a presentation point and made it like very clear. They're like, Hey, you know, the USPF, you know, and the dissolving of that and the birth of USA powerlifting, <laughs> you know, really cleaned up us usa by a lot and they're trying to make this claim of like usa powerlift i mean usa as a whole like the members here are pretty drugged up they basically were saying that and because of usa powerlifting in the system we have here you know it, it stops so many that would have otherwise gotten to worlds or whatever because mean, you know mean captain kirk was a natty bro <laughs> right right so like they all knew and that's why you know they it dissolved and so usa powerlifting tried to make the point it's like it's either us or you get powerlifting america and it's going to be way worse yeah and that was their whole whole thing and you know immediately gaston's like all right time to vote <laughs> <laughs> and they're like immediately if does power lifts us around the world <laughs> go no 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 go go <laughs> it was funny because yeah, I mean, they they were arguing and gaston gaston was like getting super angry and shit it was so funny like it, it's worth it to like listen to it because yeah you can hear like priscilla in the background or so whoever just like oh, i can't believe it like yep. <laughs> it's very funny dude my favorite my favorite thing from the ipf are all like the uh like the broken english posts that just come off like just wrong <laughs> Where it's like, 
where like the Jap the Japanese yes, men yes. who are normally small in stature, this gave them you know hope for success, <laughs> or like the. <laughs> Or like on today's Women's Day, we celebrate all the the nurses and mothers and and kitchen cleaners, and it's like, bro, you can't say that. Those were so good, and for the short amount of time that we had it up, I wish yeah. we would have been able to see all how many shares it got. Yeah, you can click it and just be like. What's amazing too is like of all the blunders, like there were definitely some that were just like just completely honest mistakes and just like the shitty English just made it horrible for them. So, oh my God, those are so good. Horrible. Yeah. That, uh, like, does Gaston run it? <laughs> like, it's like almost like he's doing though at his own page. Like, come on, you know. should hire, hire some kid for that to do it right. Yeah, exactly. I don't know who runs it. I'm not sure, but you know, those were fucking amazing. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but yeah so it's one last time circling back to the PLA thing. I guess, like, I really do wonder, you know, where they're going to get the manpower for these meets. Like, how are you going to get spotters and loaders? How are you going to get volunteers? How are you going to get judges? Like, who, who, who are the people that are filling these chairs? I just don't, in my mind right now, I don't see it. Cause I, no, I, it's, it, you're right. It's not going to happen. I mean, there's not going to be these other meets come up. It's going to be the one-off nationals meet and maybe another qualifier, and that's it. You know what? You know what might happen this is literally the only thing I can think of with the way things currently are. Is like obviously Keller is you know the the spearhead of this. He's just going to be like, all right, guys, PLA nationals, we're flying to Costa Rica, and they're just going to use like NAPF judges and NAPF volunteers, and you're just going to have these Latin American countries as the you know hosts and the and the you know volunteers and stuff like that because i just don't know who here would you know would do it everybody's usapl so the thing is they have to announce this very soon because they they have to announce it within this next month before probably january 1st so that they can announce it for 12 weeks out which would be like march so they can get nominations up in time um because otherwise like it's in june like worlds is in june you know, yeah. you have to have nominations up how many weeks out? Yeah, I was going to say, it's like you have to have, there's deadlines for nominations and then deadlines for alternates and it's a whole thing. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I have no idea how it's going to work out, but I'll be there with all the other, like <laughs> all the other, you know, I guess maybe like if we really think about it, I think it'll be like me and Jonathan and maybe a couple other, but I don't think that many more, you know, not at first. Now that we're thinking about it, Jonathan, maybe, maybe Ray, maybe Gavin, maybe Ray. Gavin. No, no. I talked to Gavin. Gavin's doing USVI. Why not PLA though? Just I so think, he doesn't have to call. No, no, no. Yeah. Cause he already has the spot. And that's what I was saying with, <laughs> mm, with, with, with Russell. Russell. Yeah. And all these other people that decided to do USVI, they have that spot. They have the, yeah, the, I guess, the, you know, why, first. Compete, why compete for something when you already have makes sense. Maybe. I mean, I mean, maybe they just want to try it out, but like, I don't know that it's worth it. The thing is like with, you know, different member nations of the IPF, you can't be a member nation of two different yep. federations. Yep. So you'd have to pick. Yeah. Um, it'd be, and it'd be foolish to give up a guaranteed spot and then register for another country and then not have it be guaranteed. So. Yeah, man. What if it's in, you know, some shithole, you know, where you're going to get shot or something and <laughs> you know, you're, you can't make it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I guess this this talk kind of brings more uh, credence to the idea that Russ will probably just take USVI then. Maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. What, what, 
I think he's focused on like his brand stuff and the gym. I don't know what he's wanted to do, you know. So he could take that time off and just chill. Yeah, I mean, but like we just said, you know, if if you can't be a member nation in more than one country and you already have a spot, it's like why why give that up? So yeah, it'd be interesting. I think Ray would would do it. Williams, maybe. I feel like he isn't he like trying to fucking go to the Olympics for shot put or some shit right now. Is he really? Dude, I haven't been he, keeping up with him. Dude, he he posts like such an old man where like he he could very easily like reach out to coaches or like Google this stuff, but he made like a uh not a story, but like you know when people like type text on like that story background but then they post it on their page. Mm, posted yeah. this like a couple months ago. He's like can a you know can someone who's out of college sign up for a track and field meet or some shit? And it's just like, bro, like you, you do not need to post this. Um, I je- yeah, the last I heard of what he was doing, you know, athletically is that he was trying to do track and field shit. Which wow. okay. I mean, I'm sure he's yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that's gonna go, but I would imagine that um, you know what it sounds like is you know he's lost a lot of weight. Obviously, his powerlifting training is not where it used to be. I'm sure he's focused more on, you know, adding years to his life expectancy rather than pushing, you know, powerlifting numbers anymore. So I don't know. Maybe SBD is, you know, that's still a a big pressure to, like, continue competing. I don't know what their agreement entails, but, um, yeah, I guess maybe. Do we want to get into um, a rating (laughs) that I gave you? You fucking piece of shit. No, so so what Chance is talking about is last night um, I sent him a a lifter's, um, like a lift. You know, it was like a big milestone for the lifter. And I was like, man, this guy's gotten so strong so fast. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's always been strong. Things have been going well. And then I was like, but dude, like, you know, not too long ago, like we had the same numbers. And Chance is like, he's a BBC man. I don't know what the fuck to tell you. Like, So I was like, yep, I mean, that's, that's fair. I, I can't argue with that. And then we're talking about just like where each of us, we think each of us is, is you know, placed in like the, the genetic hierarchy in terms of, you know, a rating for how gifted you are. And Chance mentioned how on a podcast, someone had asked me if I thought I was genetically gifted. And I said, yes. And Chance didn't like that answer. He thinks I'm not. And while I, I don't, I, <laughs> he thinks I'm a fucking piece of shit. But um, I said, well, I don't, I don't think that I'm the elite of the elite. I think that just based on with where I'm at in the sport now, but also just like growing up, like just comparing myself to other athletes I was around, like I'm obviously not tall. I obviously wasn't, you know, elite speed or anything, but from like a strength and general athleticism standpoint, I always stood out. So I gave myself a rating of on the border of B plus and A minus upon more deliberation. I've settled upon B plus. But Chance still thinks it's too high. So here's my question. If you were in Southlake playing football in Texas, right? Yeah. Do you think what position would you play? Would you play in, you know, you'd be a corner? You'd be playing corner? You're a receiver? What would you be, a running back? Dude, I have no idea. But like I said, I'm not, you know, I think if we're talking. You'd be, you're Rudy, right? Like you have the heart, right? So you could get on the team. <laughs> Like I said, when I'm, when I'm talking about, 
you know, genetics, I guess I'm talking within the, the realm of like specifically strength. Cause obviously I did not win the lottery for like overall size and height, right? Like most sports I'm going to get selected out of based mm-hmm. on that. Right. Like no matter how much I can fucking squat and deadlift, it's like, if I'm 190 pounds and five, seven, I'm going to get mowed down by some dude who squats 200 pounds less than me, but is just a larger, more imposing human. Like, there's I think no question you, about that. I think you're almost like conflating the athletic ability. Like, I don't think that's like, I know you're super athletic, like, and you like have good output and like your um, eye hand coordination, all that kind of stuff. Like you're above the line for everything. But I, I think like what, when we're looking at genetic like outliers, I don't see you as that. I don't see oh. myself as that. Yeah. No, no. Okay. Yes. I, then I do agree with you on that. When I guess we were having the conversation, I was thinking within like the context of just like strength. No, yeah, yeah, because I, yeah, obviously, bro. Like, I mean, you don't, you're not the top level without having, you know, yeah. good traits or characteristics for strength. But I don't think that's more attributable to like your genetic makeup. Like, I don't think that's true. Like, for you, you've been working hard for a long time. Like, that's yeah. why you're in that sure. position. I don't think it's genetics but i feel like you want to say that because you feel like it makes other people feel better (laughs) makes other people feel better if i say that that i'm genetically gifted uh well i'll i'll combat that because Mm -hmm. i genuinely do think i work harder than 99 percent of people so i don't care i don't care about making people feel good I'm glad yeah. you agree with me. You're yeah. not genetically elite. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. Now that the clarification has been made, I'm more on your side. But I, but I don't like, that's my point is I asked you right after I was like, explain. And I was like, I don't think I'm genetically, you know, gifted. Yeah. You know? And I bet I, I would like to see, like, we should do a poll on like whatever Nori page and see like, are you genetically gifted? And then wait and like ask like somebody else. Yeah. Know, some random other person like we would all say Russell is genetically gifted. Not that he doesn't work amazing, you know, crazy hard, but we would say his genetics beat yours. Yeah, for sure. Fair. But I'm, I'm thinking about all these other weight classes. I don't think Taylor Atwood's, you know, genetically gifted, but I guess maybe you would say, but, and that's why, like, I don't think, cause like he played, he played running back. Well, like, we had the to, CFL. Yeah. We'd have to, you know, we'd have to define these. We'd have to, we'd have to make very specific parameters. Cause like yeah. he's, an outlier of an outlier within the sport of powerlifting, but Correct. obviously from a, from a football standpoint, right? Like we, like we said, we have to define specific parameters because clearly size wise, it just wasn't enough. Right. But I mean, even, I don't know, but I'm not even saying the about, sport of football. I'm not even saying the sport of football though. I'm talking about like when we're looking about any athletic, real athlete stuff, you yeah. know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe now Derek Henry's injured. He can come back and, uh, do a powerlifting meet. <laughs> I hope people don't think that I'm making this an attack on you or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm I wanted you to to know. Like it's just a compliment, you know. Like and I and I, I'm complimenting myself too, you know. Yep. I don't and I I don't take I don't take offense easily anyway. So we're good. I know you don't. <laughs> yeah, man. Is there anything else we want to add? <clears throat> Nothing I could think of, man. Um, no, I feel like, I feel like this was good. I, I honestly am just really, really interested in seeing what the PLA can even put together. Like I'm, I've reflected on this so much and I just, I really just don't see any situation in which the USAPL doesn't 
make this work better, but we'll see. Um, regardless, Time will tell. Yeah, exactly. Regardless, I'll probably see you in March. We'll only be allotted one spotter per lift. There's only going to be one judge. So if he decides to sit in the on the side on squats and just, you know, well, you'll be fine. I'll be fucked. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll be good. It'll be a nice, uh, nice budget, budget nationals meet. Cool. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, I don't think I have, I don't think I have anything else to add. I think we covered everything. Yep. No, sounds good, man. We'll definitely have uh, we'll definitely have one of our other guys on. This was just a, a very pressing topic that we wanted to get to for you guys to listen to real quick while it was still hot. Um, we got some interesting developments within the team that we'll likely be talking about uh, going forward. But as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Chance, thank you for for hopping on here today. Um, this was episode two of the High Bar podcast, where the standards are high and the IQs are low. Um, <laughs> No. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back in the next one. Take care. Have a great day, guys. Thanks, Chance. Yep.